Hello, my name is Jeremiah Ruderboss. Welcome to Journal Review. The purpose of this podcast is to break down journal articles and explain their meaning and significance in an educational way. Each podcast will focus on exercise and fitness, lifestyle, or nutrition. By reviewing a variety of topics related to exercise and fitness, lifestyle, or nutrition, I hope to provide useful information to those who wish to optimize their physical well-being. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Journal Review. Very glad to have you. Today we have a very, very special topic. Um, Today I decided to do a podcast on microplastics and nanoplastics and kind of a background on them because maybe some people are not entirely sure of what exactly they are, uh, kind of explaining what they are uh, and their effect on the human body. So I decided to do this podcast on this particular topic, the effect of plastics on the human body, because most people are aware of how plastic pollution can impact parts of the environment, such as oceans and wildlife. But I've noticed that not enough people or not enough focus is put on how humans are affected by plastic pollution. So that's what this episode is kind of going into. So I'm basically going to kind of give a background description of microplastics, the different types of plastics, um, how they get into the body, different ways they get in, whether it be ingestion or other ways we'll talk about, and then their effect on the body. So now we'll go over how plastics are made. So plastics are derived from oil, plants, or natural gas when they are refined into ethane or propane. So ethane and propane are then treated with heat to change their structure into ethylene and propylene. So basically adding a double bond. So these monomers, ethylene and propylene, are combined to make a polymer, a long chain of single components. And these polymers form a fluffy looking powder. This powder is then melted down and fed into the pipe, into a pipe. And this pipe uh, is then is colder and so the plastic when it's fed into this pipe cools and it as it comes out of the pipe the plastic solidifies and as it and then it emerges from the pipe and then there is a machine that cuts it into small pellets and these pellets are put into containers and shipped throughout the world so so now we come to the definition of microplastics and nanoplastics Microplastics are basically plastic particles that are larger than one micrometer and smaller than one millimeter. And nanoplastics are plastic particles that are smaller than one micrometer. And so different types of micro and nanoplastics, you probably all heard of polyethylene. Uh, This polymer is primarily used in packaging, plastic bags, films, and containers. As of 2017, polyethylene made up about 34% of the plastic market. Next, we have polypropylene. This, is, this plastic is similar to polyethylene, but it is slightly harder and with more heat resistance. We have plasticized polyvinyl chloride, PVC. It's the world's third most widely produced plastic after polyethylene and polypropylene. 
And as you know, it's normally used in pipes, windows, and doors for construction purposes. We also have methyl mercury. Um, this forms when mercury in the water binds with plastic pollution, forming the toxic methyl mercury. This heavy metal uh, with a positive charge clings to negatively charged plastic, and the toxic methyl mercury builds up and collects in the food chain, leading to health risks for predators and a lot of the fish in these waters. Next we have phthalates. They are primarily, primarily used to make PVC and they are added to materials to increase flexibility, durability, and longevity. They are often put into lubricating oils, personal care products such as shampoo, hair products, and vinyl flooring. Next we have PBDEs, so polybrominated diphenyl ethers. These chemicals are used as flame retardants in plastics, cloth production, wire insulation, and the car industry. It is known to accumulate over time and to be toxic to both humans and the environment. Next we have bisphenols, bisphenol A and bisphenol B. Uh, these are chemicals used in certain food packaging, most often used for the production of polycarbonate plastics. <clears throat> Next we have PCBs, polychlorinated biphenols. These were outlawed in 1979 due to their damaging effects to humans and the environment. PCBs were used for microscope oils, electrical insulators, electrical appliances, and spraying on dirt roads to keep the dust down. Finally, we have styrenes, which is an unsaturated hydrocarbon that is easily turned into polymers. Styrene butadine is the most widely used production is most widely used in the production of synthetic rubber. So now we're gonna go over some of the mechanisms in, by which plastic enters the body. First of all, we have ingestion, which is through a oral drugs or edible foods. Um, we have infusion, which could be intravenously, intraosseously, uh, intramuscularly, intradermal in injections, we also have inhalation, so as mentioned above, the long and short-acting bronchodilator inhalers, steroid inhalers, nebulized medicines, mucus thinners, are all stored in plastic containers and may comprise of leached micro or nanoplastics and additives. So similarly, respiratory devices like tubes or masks or heating devices fabricated using plastic polymers, especially PVC or polypropylene, are prone to release micro or nano particles under heat. So the last main way by which plastic enters the body mm. is through dermal contact. So think about the plastic in your clothing, um, PVC, polyester, nylon, acrylic, vegan leather, uh, fur, spandex, um, other materials um, come in contact frequently with our body. So besides being in contact with our bodies, a high amount of synthetic microfibers are released into the water when washing these uh, synthetic clothes. Um, 
the penetration of the larger particles is um, onto the corneous layer of our skin is significantly low, but the lesser, smaller particles, uh, smaller than 200 nanometers, penetrate the stratum corneum, which is, I guess, the, the um, most superficial layer of our skin. So larger particles probably won't penetrate so much, but the smaller ones have been, have been known to uh, penetrate that and get into hair follicles or lipid channels um, and things like that. So that's definitely one thing to be aware of. Next, we'll kind of go over how this, how plastic is transmitted from uh, packaging to the food to the body. So some reports estimate up to 50,000 plastic particles make its way into each person every year, which is just an astounding number if you really think about it. And so I'm just going to go through some of the ways in which the plastic makes its way into our bodies um, through food. And so these are just going to be the main, um, the main ways. So a group of researchers investigated the microplastic, con microplastic contamination of meat through its packaging. So the ceiling, the clear plastic ceiling and the tray and the average amount of microplastics found on the meat from the tray and the plastic seal was anywhere from 4 to 18 microplastics per kilogram. Uh, another group of researchers investigated the release of microplastics from bottled water. They tested about 259 bottles uh, with 11 different brands from uh, different locations in nine separate countries. So the findings revealed that about 93% of the water bottles out of the total study were contaminated with microplastics. And they found that the concentration of microplastics was twice as high as the, micro, as the concentration of microplastics in tap water. So the concentration, so bottled water has twice as many um, microplastic particles uh, as tap water does, which is, I guess it's understandable, but still kind of disturbing. Uh, the study also looked at tap water across many countries, and they found more developed countries such as Europe, uh, European Union, the United States, had a higher density of plastics in their tap water when compared to less developed nations such as Cuba, India, Indonesia, Ecuador. Uh, most of the microplastics found in tap water uh, were not pellets, but they were fibers. Sea salt is also known for being a substance high in micro and nano um, particle contamination. So the highest pollution of sea salt was observed in Pacific sea salt. They had about 806 particles per kilogram, and the lowest contamination was observed in Hawaiian sea salt with an average of 46.7 particles per kilogram. And so the researchers concluded that the pollution likely comes from uh, the source of transportation, so like the cardboard, the glass or plastic bags, uh, the Hawaiian uh, sea salt sample, they use plastic bags. And so the Pacific used cardboard bags. So 
the pollution likely comes from the from the water, not the packaging that it is put in. The next one's probably a no-brainer, but don't use plastic tea bags. They are definitely a huge concern, uh, especially when uh, exposed to near boiling water. So a group of researchers conducted a study to investigate the effect of temperature on the release of microplastics into beverages, and they stated that a high temperature around 95 degrees Celsius enhances the fragility of plastic tea bags, and even a single tea bag at brewing temperature degrades and releases around 11.6 billion microplastics and 3.1 billion nanoplastics in a single cup of a tea beverage. That's what they said. So, which is just crazy. They found found roughly 3.1 billion submicron particles released for each steeped tea bag. Other hot beverages are also a concern, but just be sensible and don't use plastic tea bags. Another area of concern is infant feeding bottles. So plastic infant feeding bottles are primarily made up of polypropylene, and they are used for the preparation and storage of infant formula milk. These bottles are regularly engaged for formula milk preparation by shaking them with a high temperature water inside, about 70 to 100 degrees Celsius. So mechanical shaking of the bottle with the hot liquid in, inside accelerates the degradation of the plastics and leads to microplastic contamination in the formula milk, which is could potentially be an issue. Another study absorbed 14 particles per liter in a single in single-use plastic bottles and 11 particles per liter in beverage cartons. They saw 118 particles per liter in reusable or returnable plastic bottles. This showed that the number of microplastics in water from reusable or returnable bottles was eight times higher than in water from single-use plastic bottles and about 10 times higher than that from beverage cartons. So next let's look at some of the factors affecting plastic degradation. So these are like temperature, moisture, heat, light, or microbial action. So exposure to sunlight radiation can influence the chemical structure and even break some of the carbon to carbon or carbon to hydrogen bonds in plastic. And this process is known as photodegradation. So certain plastics that are unsaturated can be broken down in this way. So photodegradation is more effective in the presence of oxygen along with UV light. An elevated temperature can also change the chemical structure of the plastic polymer chain. And this is known as thermal degradation. So the increased degradation affects the chemical and physical structure of the polymer. Uh, microorganisms can also be causative agents of degradation. And this is known as biological degradation. And it's, it can occur in the presence of oxygen and in the absence of oxygen. And it's basically where enzymes uh, can degrade the plastic. Uh, this is more 
this is a more specific type of biodegradation. So photodegradation and degradation due to oxidation always occur prior to biodegradation. And then, of course, physical stress, abrasive factors, uh, like we were talking about with the infant feeding bottles. Also, wind and water uh, can lead to mechanical degradation of plastic. So some of the common ways or common plastics that can be degraded. Um, one example is BPA. When exposed to a change in temperature or pH, like when you put uh, clothes in a washing machine or food in a microwave or something gets comes in contact with acidic foods, BPA can leach to the wastewater and this results in contaminated foods and drinks and uh, increased health risk. So leaching is a big way in which BPA can be uh, transferred into uh, like foods and drinks. Uh, other additives along with microplastics and packaging are are also known to release um, bioactive chemicals like bisphenol A, so BPA, um, and phthalates into food and drinks. So bisphenol A and phthalate are known as endocrine disruptors, which can disturb the endogenous hormonal balance of the body by interfering with pathways of the thyroid hormones and inhibiting effects of testosterone, and this can be done in even very small concentrations. And so this um, transferring of plastics into food and stuff is also a um, potential issue in the field of medicine. So leaching occurs when polymer units or plastics, plastics or additives like stabili stabilizers migrate from the packaging where they were initially put into the substance in which the packaging contains. And this is a, like I said, a pot potentially a huge problem for uh, drugs. So drugs can also migrate onto the surface of plastics via what is called AD, adsorption, or pharmaceutical agents can penetrate or diffuse into the plastic through AB absorption and desorption is the physical process in which the substance is released from the surface on which it was previously adsorbed. So adsorbed is onto the surface and absorb is into the actual substance. So with all this adsorption, absorption and le leaching, uh, there can be a significant amount of microplastics in these drugs um, and it's they have the potential to cause damage to the body. So I'm just going to list off a few areas in which these microplastics could potentially be harmful to humans. So the first area is the immune cells. So when we unintentionally uh, ingest uh, some of this micro nanoplastic um, our body counts it as foreign material and triggers an inflammatory immune reaction. And so this, this reaction is size dependent, basically meaning that the larger molecules are going to um, cause a larger inflammatory response than the smaller 
nano-sized particles. And so these microplastics can accumulate agglomerations of endotoxins, intestinal endoproteins, and certain bacteria. So similarly, <clears throat> polyethylene <clears throat> micro-nanoparticles released from uh, polyethylene polymers due to wear and tear inter can intercirculation and trigger inflammatory responses <clears throat> by um, pro-inflammatory mediators such as tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-1, and others. Uh, and this drives macrophages to come near that area of uh, the plastics. Uh, so it definitely can have a significant impact on the human immune system. Next, we're going to look at the gastrointestinal system. And so basically micro and nanoparticles accumulate and can create inflammation, which can alter the gut microbiome. Small par plastic particles can easily pass through the intestinal barrier and reach blood circulation. And this can affect other organs, whereas larger particles are trapped in the intestinal epithelial cells. And this can actually block nutrient uptake and cause uh, oxidative inflammation to occur. When it comes to the lung cells, <clears throat> studies on in vivo models prove that acute and chronic micro-nanoparticle exposure can produce asthma-like symptoms um, and asthma-like bronchial inflammation in the bronchial tissues, and it could potentially lead to pneumonia and extrinsic allergic alveolitis, inflammation of the alveolar sacs, which are where gas exchange occurs in our lungs. So this could decrease the perfusion of oxygen into the bloodstream, which could significantly affect your day-to-day uh, -day activity. Plastic um, ingestion can also um, cause oxidative stress. So reactive oxygen species production is the primary response of cells um, to cytotoxic and genotoxic effects. Um, so these free radicals can be produced during interactions with micro and nanoparticles or with the cell surface or with cellular components. So apart from direct contact with these uh, micro and nanoplastics, Oxidative stress can be triggered by the release of additive chemicals like stabilizers and things like that. So my, uh, micro and nanoplastics can interfere with the antioxidant system by altering the structure and functions of antioxidant enzymes. For example, superoxide dismutase is an important re reactive oxygen species uh, metabolizing enzyme, so it uh, neutralizes free radicals. With In the presence of plastic, it can undergo conformational changes following the interaction with the particles, and this results in decreased activity and DNA damage, since the superoxide dismutase can protect DNA from oxidative damage. Another system that could potentially be harmed um, by these plastic pollutants is the reproductive system. So many of these plastic particles can mimic the function of steroidal hormones and act as endocrine-disrupting chemicals. And female rat models 
microplastic exposure and oxidative stress led to ovarian fibrosis, apoptosis, and pyroptosis of follicular cells. So basically a highly inflammatory form of cell death that occurs when the cell is, in, is infected or exposed to these microplastics. So that is just one study in rats. Um, successful fertilization is dependent on high-quality gametes, egg and sperm. These can be influenced by lifestyle and environmental factors. Sperm cells are highly vulnerable to oxidative stress due to the lack of their DNA repair capacity. So in male mice models, micro and nano particles led to defective or low production uh, of sperm, anomalies in sperm morphology, and hormonal imbalance. So this is something that uh, potentially could be a cause reproductive issues down the road, but uh, this is all, um, this is very, it's potential. So uh, I will, I will just leave it at that. Other areas of concern is um, the effect on DNA. So in some cases, micro nanoparticles produce DNA damage, uh, which may result in mutations of genes that are involved in cell proliferation, cell cycle, and repair mechanisms. And this could lead down the road to a carcinogenic state. Another important mechanism uh, that these particles do is the induction of chromosomal damage by the interruption of chromosomal segregation in, <clears throat> in mitosis. So BPA is known is well known for hormonal imbalances. Um, bisphenol A can um, cause chemoresistance and estrogen receptor uh, positive and negative breast cancer cells. This means that BPA may alter expression of pro-survival proteins in these cells, and BPA may also play a role in causing cells to be resistant to the action of specific therapeutic agents. And in this particular study that I'm referencing, it was anti-cancer drugs. So BPA is also a synthetic or pseudoestrogen. It is known to convert pre-adipocytes, so a precursor to a mature fat cell, uh, to adipocytes, uh, and so this is could be associated. It is associated with a study shows that it is a, associated with obesity, diabetes, and um, it's similar to. Uh, it is an endocrine disrupting chemical. And another study found that it does affect spermatogenesis. So the production of sperm, it can induce uh, germ cell death, and it can inf interfere with um, yeah, spermatogenesis, it can impair the um, sperm quality through RNA, how it interacts with it. Uh, so there is an association with possible BPA exposure and lower semen quality. So those are just kind of the, the main um, areas in which people are concerned about uh, plastic pollution and how they affect our body. Um, while there, it, this, the list of effects on human health was not exhaustive, that's just the main ones that I found.
So while it's easier said than done, some ways to minimize plastic exposure in your life are to stay away from disposable cups, plastic water bottles, plastic food packaging, be just being aware of what packaging is used for your personal care products, like your shampoo, um, soap, and things like that. Maybe shy away from clothes that are made with synthetic fibers, such as nylon or polyester, um, and maybe start buying clothes that are more often that are made of cotton. These, these are just a few suggestions that may help you long-term because this is generally a new thing. Um, plastic has not been, in the grand scheme of things, it has not been used for that long. I believe it was in the 70s when it began to be used widely and in the 50s when it was first synthesized. So the toxicological evidence is quite clear of the harm pollutants can cause to humans on a cell-to-cell um, level. When you're looking at oxidation, it can cause oxidation. Um, however, establishing a clear epidemiological link, so a cause and effect of disease, is pretty tricky. For example, if someone is diagnosed with cardiovascular disease, it's not just because of the diet. It could be partially because of a variety of factors, diet, lifestyle, genetics, age, and a whole lot more. Um, same thing with plastics. You can't, um, it's very hard to uh, say it is a causative agent of a certain disease like cancer or lung disease when there are so many, um, so many factors. So that is all I have for you. Again, I really chose not to focus on plastic pollution, micro nanoplastics on the environment but on the body, the human body, how it affects that, just things we should be aware of, uh, especially since plastic packaging is used for uh, a very, very high percentage of uh, everything, that, everything that we use. So um, yeah, that's mainly why I did the podcast. I just wanted to um, make people aware of that, uh, of the potential side effects of widespread plastic use in food and clothing and in other aspects of your of life. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a lot. And uh, I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Journal Review. This podcast is for informative use only. I am not a professional, so please do not take any of this information as medical advice.